society constantly saying that I'm not good enough to be in it. And it's like, okay, I have to constantly say, society is dictating to me that I don't fit into this box when really the society is on the back of Turtle Island. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. Style Like You is a movement for acceptance rooted in radically honest docu-style videos, podcasts, and books. We love the ritual of lighting candles and are thrilled that this episode is brought to you by PF Candle Co., another female-founded family-run company. Our interviews are such meditative experiences, so having a PF candle burning during the recording only adds to the feeling of warmth and intimacy. PF's mission is to make high-end quality candles, read diffusers, incense, and other unisex scents at accessible prices. And everything PF makes is vegan, cruelty-free, and paraben-free. So give yourself some self-love and decompression therapy by going to pfcandleco.com and use the coupon code STYLE for 20% off your order. That's pfcandleco.com with the coupon code STYLE for 20% off. We're sitting here with Ty Defoe, and mm-hmm. when I was looking at everything that he's done yesterday, I knew that I was going to fall in love, and I already have. Ty is Native American and a dancer and a musician and an artist and did I get it all? An actor? Did I get it all? I think Is that so. everything? <laughs> and identifies as two-spirited, which in Native American culture has always acknowledged that gender was fluid or more fluid than um, it, ha- it is in, in this patriarchal binary society and that there always, there always has been an understanding that gender, that there's a third gender or that there's multiple genders. Yeah, um, you like can multiple. go on. Yeah. You can. Can mm-hmm. you go on? Can you, maybe it's a good place for you to elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So, yeah, I will identify as Nishmani Tawag, which is, you know, the best translation is, you know, two spirit, but really it means transcending gender. And I think, yeah, they, very similar to what you said, the, that gender being completely fluid, just as, you know, we're trying to describe, well, what do you do, Ty? It's like, right. you know, genre fluid. Like, mm-hmm. what is this world that we could live in where there aren't boxes, borders, right. boundaries, and those types of things? Those are some of the places I think that, um, you know, two-spirit identity um, on this spectrum um, oftentimes was just taken away because of colonization. Uh, two-spirit also is a a framing device of expression like it really is the role and i often find a lot of two-spirit people directly involved in the arts and doing the art because of that expression because of historic amnesia that this sort of country is operating around so what are the ways at which we can shape shift essentially so those are some new thoughts that i'm having about the two-spirit identity and its evolution like being a shapeshifter what are and ways mm-hmm. in the spaces that you have to shapeshift even as individuals to um resist to speak truth to power to bring people together to inspire to invoke so does it mean that there's one spirit that encompasses everything or does it mean that we have multiple spirits yeah that we have like multiple multiple spirits is it kind of synonymous in a way with like gender nonconforming or like or yeah i would say it aligns with gender nonconforming yeah. um you know i think that you know because we have language and a way to sort of um talk about it i feel like it's 
yeah, it's like all inclusive. So it's like gender and sexuality and way of operating and being, Mm -hmm. but also literally a lot of what your responsibility is in this like great hoop or great circle of life, essentially. Mm. Also wanted to say too, on gender, the whole thing is right. Gender is a construct. Yeah. But if that construct went away, we can't even fathom because we are also stuck in a system to even sort of, we're like, oh, this is what gender is. But to have something that's, I don't want to say genderless because it has many, many genders to it. Right. So like how would, you know, to describe something right. like that is a little bit hard. I think I always use the word like transcending gender and, you know, there's all kinds of connotations with what do you mean to transcend or does mm-hmm. that mean you're above something else in a hierarchy? And it's like, well, not exactly because transcending could mean above, it could mean to the side, it could mean below. It's or it of, can mean whole. You're just getting whole. out of a confinement. Exactly. Like you're, 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 mm-hmm. just, you're just dissolving a wall that doesn't exist anyway, a wall that's just been created to oppress and to divide people, mm-hmm. a wall that isn't even real. Because yeah. in reality, we are transcendent. Like in reality, the truth is that we are all genderless in our essence, I believe, yeah. outside of gender binary and outs and, and transcendent. And what that to me what that means is that the more that we can mentally and psychically and spiritually understand that the freer that we are and the happier that we are and who we are, we can understand the the gradations and the subtleties and the multi dimensions of who we are and not be stuck in sort of any kind of ego fear driven identity. Exactly. Yeah. It's like when I ask you, is the bathroom here? Your bathroom in your home is not labeled right. for particular people. Right. It's like, oh, our bathroom's upstairs. Like, where's right. this restroom? So it's about making people comfortable as if wherever you're walking, you're in like a sense of home, mm-hmm. you know, for others. And so can you talk a little bit about where you're from and like when this idea of being too spirited was taught to you or introduced to you and yeah you know and, uh, yeah more also just more on your background and where you're from and everything yeah. oh for sure so usually i'll say to listeners I, i'll say like um i'm thai is the name that was you know, I chose for myself, and my my name is Gijig, and that means sky. And it um, also goes around wherever I go. I make friends, or the grass turns green, or it's a storytelling name about the you know sort of almost revolving sky, the motion that makes circles. Um, I'm from the Eagle Clan and descendant of Chief Buffalo, and I carry with me this two spirit identity. And this, all of this was given to me where I grew up in northern Wisconsin uh, with the Anishinaabe people there in Madeline Island. So I grew up there and, you know, to me being two-spirit there, I just did, you just do things. So you do like at ceremonies, for example, you know, there are roles for particular individuals to do. And for me, I just did what I felt essentially. Mm -hmm. And luckily, I feel really fortunate that I got to you know, participate in ways that no one was stopping me from doing things that I, you know, I felt. They were like, oh, you can't do that. For example, um, at a ceremony, like take care and steward over the fire, which, Mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes you see more males do that in my community. And women work a lot with the water because of how they're feeling 
um, feminine and connected to Mother Earth. They'll work with water and cedar and these types of medicines. So for me, I was like, oh, I want to do this. And people were like, great, that's awesome. So, so you had no resistance? Yeah, I had no resistance until, you know, I started. Um, How old were you when, this, when, that, when, when you started to identify with wanting to do more, the more masculine male, or the things that traditionally the men did? Do? Yeah, I think from the time that I could walk or something, and a lot of it comes into play with like art, because I also remember like making masks for myself out of like cardboard boxes and like putting those on and mm-hmm. watching someone at like a celebration or a roundhouse or the powwow, and I would sort of emulate their body movements in our kitchen, which was like kind of you know, comical and strange all at the same time. And this was sort of encouraged. And I was, you know, really thought I could project myself to embody others that I was seeing. And oftentimes these folks were, you know, um, doing, they were doing like masculine dances and things. So that's like some of my earliest memories. So were you literally given the like identity of two-spirit or did you choose that? I chose to represent myself in that way. And I think a lot because of a simulation and boarding schools and, you know, a lot of um, like people in my own community sort of religion has done such a number on native and indigenous people where it's almost also there are some people where it's, it isn't accepted or also because they don't know about what it is exactly. So it's like, a lot of decolonizing it's a lot of like relearning things so when i go into spaces it was really important for me to be like this is what i am mm. and so i could get to the actual work that i need to do in community mm-hmm. and some of that work is inspire other two-spirit trans non-binary you know women in the community mm-hmm. to have a voice because oftentimes i found you know, the sort of effeminate voice also silenced because of colonization, because of religion, because of the binary. Mm-hmm. So my whole role is to identify as that so I can do the work that's needed. When you first were born and when before you were walking, what, what were you wearing? And like, what was the transition? Where I grew up, there's the reservation, there's a subsistence community there. Everyone has like long hair, like we were just as kids like play in the woods like that's what we did and just you know with the boys and girls and, had long hair oh yeah, yeah everyone was just like wow it was that sounds like a dream it was so great um you know and you'll hear many stories about that too like the further you go into you know urban communities and cities like you'll like want to cut your hair because you don't want to be identified as a gender like hair is such like a huge thing and even today when here in new york city people will say and i'm like passing masculine sort of person but i still get mislabeled because of i have long hair because long hair is feminine right and also they'll see in boarding schools and old pictures like like men who've gotten their hair cut off which is you're cutting the culture off you're cutting spirituality off you're cutting language off Mm -hmm. that's why that was such a big movement women had to have their hair you know in buns pulled up close knit to their head and like there's so much power in hair so what is the power i want to hear about that but keep going on that we'll get back to that right where i grew up yeah so there it was mostly playing in the woods it was you know, I, I have a specific memory actually of doing something I've written about called the switch dance. And the switch dance is actually switching regalia with someone else. 
And um, in terms of um, identity by design, I guess, you put on someone else's regalia pieces and you dance in a particular dance. And in this instance, I, um, you know, asked to borrow the regalia of this older man who was, um, he was like, really great. I knew we had like an awesome relationship and to ask someone for their regalia to dance during this, you know, powwow is a big deal. So I asked him for it and I put it on. And like for the first time, I was also in public though, you know, after figuring out what gender identity is. And I began to dance sort of in public outside of the kitchen of my home. Um, I felt like I was like announcing myself and people could really see me and how I was moving. And it was really I, I don't even know what happened in that moment. I just remember afterwards people were like throwing um, like medicine at my feet and people were like laughing and it was like a great time. But that's when I, I feel like I made the switch in public. How old were you? Um, I was about, I think I was about like 11. What was your style before that? Before that? Right. So before that, you know, after... I grew up from, you know, time of six and things like this. You, I had to wear, because I wore shorts when I danced um, and like just like a shirt. And then as I started getting, you know, in different ages, people were like, oh, like they should wear a skirt. They have to wear a skirt because this skirt is connected to culture. It's connected to ceremony. And I didn't quite understand why I had to wear this skirt because of the particular dance that was given to me, which was the hoop dance, where I'm like, well, if I wear a skirt, it's going to get tangled in the hoops. It's going to, you're not, when you see the beautiful design, it's going to flow out and it's going to be covered up. Like, why do I have to wear a skirt? I don't really understand why. So did you end up, because I know you kept with the hoop dancing, Mm -hmm. that was something that was given to you or something that you just felt an affinity towards? Someone came to our tribe, Kevin Locke, who became my mentor and I became his apprentice. And um, my uncle also gave me a hoop and it was made out of red willow. And then they came and gave me a hoop that was iron. So I had like a, ra- a very light willow hoop and then a very like heavy iron hoop. And so they were like, okay, this is going to help find balance for this individual. So I had to like all summer, I just started dancing and figuring out like how to balance. But if I was going too fast, this iron hoop when I was practicing, you know, I'd end up hitting myself. And then the willow hoop would start to break because it's so fragile. So this became then a lesson, a lifelong lesson for me when I got these hoops. Wait, so back to your, so, so did your, you wear the your, skirt? yeah, did you wear the skirt? And also I'm curious, oh, yeah. cause like I could imagine <laughs> that in your culture, like a man could wear a skirt or is that what you were saying? That wasn't how it was. And you were questioning that kind of like, it was so feminine. It was a feminine indicator of some kind yeah oh definitely so like in my you know little kid mind of being in the woods I'm like this is great like literally didn't matter like you were just playing with people and you were swimming and doing all these activities but until it got more formal into ceremony with what you needed to wear how you needed to be where you needed to sit based on your clan and how you're in clan meaning animal clan to um, using your sacred medicine um, and the way how you're walking through life, you can always call upon that animal to help you. So when these formalities started to happen... Animal meaning like like gender? Are you talking about... Animal, animal? Oh, animal, animal. Yeah, animal, like... Animal. I want to hear about that. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, like I'm like... <laughs> like I'm like Eagle Clan and Turtle Clan and there's other like different clans. So that will tell you 
in lodge where you need to sit, how you need to like be the kind of help you need to give to the community. So, you know, when those formalities got in place, then that's when I started questioning it because there were folks that said, oh, women need to do this and men need to do this. Mm -hmm. And right, what happens to two-spirit people in this instance or people that choose to identify in this way? Like, where do you go exactly? So, and who has those teachings about where two-spirit identity people folks go, Mm -hmm. right? And especially if religion, right, is creating these inherent binaries and yet culture and tradition and spirituality is existing over time and you know we all know in contemporary culture queer folks and religion it's there's a huge clash so then culturally speaking another layer and lens where are the two-spirit people how are they identifying if language and labels were taken away so i think my 11 year old self was like hold up hold up hold up what is going on why are we doing the things that we do um luckily now because of um you know, people questioning and wanting to know more about it. And there's two spirit identity people who are chiefs of our nation now who run ceremony, and they're able to adjust some of the language and make space and room for, you know, people that just aren't in the binary. So what happened when you started asking that question? How was it received? And then at the end of the day, what did you do? Right, I I think it was received with a lot of resistance in terms of, you know, I think, human beings be conditioned to colonization and also i think in my own community which is like you know hard to say it's like examining self and examining what you're taught always stirs the pot a little bit you know um but i think that's what people who are making art people who are two-spirit who are queer who are on the margins or on the fray i kind of feel like that's the role to make this like revolution happen did your parents completely accept you um my mom it's you know it steps i think when you have like you someone like closest to you start to change like physically how you look that was like the hardest part for my mom when did that Um, happen yeah when did you make that decision four and a half years ago slowly start to happen over time my mom's biggest question was you can do anything, you can be anything. She was like, why do you feel like you have to take um, the white man's medicine? And pause, and I was like, wow, that's a good question. Like, why do I feel like I need to look a certain way Is in that society? testosterone, the white man's medicine? Mm-hmm. She was saying that, yeah. Because I told her, you know, mom, testosterone, this is what happens. Your voice changes. You will just look different. She's like, why do you need to feel like you need to alter that? And I... We had That's this deep conversation about that. And I said, well, I feel like to do the work that I need to do, I need to not think and focus so much constantly on not appearing how, visually how I am amongst a larger world that would not understand who I am unless I appeared a specific way. You didn't feel that you could make the changes as as deeply as... Had you? Mm-hmm. I feel like I would be so focused on myself and, you know, as a human being, like take things so personally all the time when people are conditioned to operate in a colonistic society, mm-hmm. you know, because we're just not there yet with the right. fluidity of yeah. 
English that we have to mm-hmm. use to communicate. You would have to be so on guard and so watching instead of just relaxing and, and just being who mm-hmm. you are mm-hmm. just without having to think about it. Yeah. And that's what I told my mom when she responded with her awesome question. I was like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so we had long discussion about Did that. Did she understand ultimately and accept you? A little bit. It was it was interesting. It was really hard for her to to understand at first. But I remember we were at a diner and I was walking in the diner and I was walking towards her at one moment and she was sitting and she was having her one egg and toast. Hmm. And she looks up and she like kind of laughs. She's this like very small, tiny um, Six Nations Oneida woman. And um, I was, I can like run and pick her up. She's like so small. And so she like looks up and she was like, oh, I thought that was you. And she said, I, I was looking, I was like, oh, who's that young guy coming in? You know, who's mm-hmm. that young guy coming to see me today? And I was like, whoa, that was like the first time that she like saw me at a distance and she must've saw me and my silhouette changing for the first time. And it was interesting then sitting down and talking with her because I feel like she can still see just me in the body that I was in before through my eyes. Mm. You know, you can see the eyes are like different facial expressions mm-hmm. or features. I feel like she Meaning could, your eyes are still the same. Yeah, eyes are still the same. Like all, all of that. So The seed of the soul. Mm-hmm. Can you explain like your awareness of like how you were being raised as opposed to like the mass media and cult? You know, like what was, were you exposed to the media? Were you like that whole mm. relationship? Yeah, mostly like I think like growing up was like outside, like outdoors all the time. And I feel this like need now in New York to Mm -hmm. like find grass and like the trees. And I have this residency in Governor's Island now. And I'm just like, ah, space, Mm -hmm. energy, like I can feel it, you know? So there is definitely being outdoors. Like that's where I feel just like most comfortable with like the elements. Um, And I feel like in the contemporary society, somehow that is a little bit overlooked you know, or, or like not as much given that you have to like go and find that somehow. It's almost as, you know, we could st- stay hours in front of our computers or, you know, in buildings and things like that, like constantly. Were like, you aware oh, that you were being raised in a way that was like different than most of the country? Like, or were you kind of in your own world and like just like. I mean, did you ever go into a blissfully city unaware? Or, <laughs> yeah. or what happened when you would go? Be, when you would go back more into the, you know, yeah, the city or wherever. The, yeah, what it happened? Was, it was interesting. I mean, like just the ways of operating and being. Um, you know, we go to the city because my mom worked on the Indian Child Welfare Act, which was um, taking Indigenous youth to um, culturally sensitive families. And most of those families who wanted Native youth were um, LBGTQ families because of, you know, once again, this country and the laws and who's fit to be a parent and things like that. So, you know, we had a lot of foster youth with us constantly, like driving around the state. So we'd get to go to cities. I, you know, lived in um, all the different cities in Wisconsin, essentially. And, um, you know, my mom would drop me off at different like camps and things to like keep, you know, some of us busy and make work and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But yeah, it was really different. I started to realize like, wow, I'm really, you know, thinking differently and doing things differently than 
this Western society when I went to like a theater camp or something like that and really got to like be with people that didn't look like me, that didn't talk like me. It was like, for me, it was like a cultural exchange, you know, um, to know people that had a whole other way of like mm-hmm. operating, like well, almond, like having almond butter and different things like that. Like, you know, <laughs> that's what you remember, <laughs> almond butter. Wait, I, I want to like, get almond into Almond butter and jelly sandwiches, cool. Oh, wow. Because we got, you what, know, were, what would be the normal thing that you'd be eating? Well, we'd have like wild rice and cranberries and you know things where we grew up that it grew but then you'd also get a box of commodity food which is like regulated food by the government that they would give in boxes and they give to native families and homes and it's like really gross speaking of food like blocks of cheese and Mm -hmm. um like canned foods Mm -hmm. which my mom was like don't eat that it's the government they're trying to you know like sabotage the culture and the people and at the time, it was like, what? This tastes good because it tastes, you mm-hmm. know, it's addicting. Yes. And and she was like, no, it's a conspiracy. So mm. now I'm like, oh, yes, it's a conspiracy. Mm. You know? Wait, so what? how did the kids when you were in the camp, like how did the, what were assumptions? What, what first of all, what, what, how were you appearing at that time? Um, well, and then what were their assumptions about you? One time was very interesting. I went to this camp and, and people were, learning Shakespeare, there was an assumption that everybody knew who William Shakespeare was. And everyone was like talking in this like language I didn't understand yet. I could also speak English and Anishinaabe. I'm like, what is, I don't, they're like, this is English. I'm like, that's not English. Like, aren't we speaking English? Like it was a whole, like, and then people also saying, well, this is classic. These are the classics. And I'm like, well, whose classics are these? Like, cause these aren't my classics. So wow. I don't, I don't understand. Like it's my first time like hearing this, like mm-hmm. what is this? So what are your classics? Um, so yeah, classics, I would say, you know, creation stories, um, you know, of Turtle Island and how it came to be. I think, um, you know, things about like the animals and nature mostly were classics I feel. Um, one of those, you know, about Wajash, the little muskrat that grabs a piece of earth and puts it on the turtle's back. And this is the land where we live now. Um, so to me, those, mm-hmm. those are classics. And then what were assumptions that the kids made? Like both, I would say, um, kind of that, did you, what were your interactions sort of both based on gender and, and on, um, I don't know, just any, anything like yeah. even, even racially, like what, what, oh, how, yeah. <laughs> how was it, what was that like? Well, it was interesting because right, like people only know what you know in pop culture and we've definitely have come very small steps in terms of learning what native culture, native people and different nations are. So yeah, there'd be so many things about like, you know, like Pocahontas, mm. you know, cause of the Disney right. cartoon. I was probably what, maybe the first person that they've met. And then when that movie comes out, it's you know, you get labeled as that, mm-hmm. which is like, why would you think that I'm this sort feminine. of like, yeah, like feminine sort of like mini skirt wearing like hair blown in the wind individual? Because like inside, I don't see myself as that. And then culturally, too, like, what does that say about, you know, the culture and how mm-hmm. people are viewing indigenous women at the same time? Were you wearing kind of more masculine clothing, even though you were presenting like your body was still 
Feminine. Yeah. 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 I feel like it was, it was kind of weird because I was, yeah, wearing masculine clothes, like ripped up jeans and, you know, like cool t shirts and things and like always had like very long hair mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like trying not to be noticed or seen mm-hmm. or anything like mm-hmm. that. But I definitely feel like there's a, you know, a romantification, almost exotic nature also of, you know, like women of color. Mm-hmm. So, and that's how I was being viewed. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, don't look at me. Like, don't, you know, I don't want to be seen. A special thanks to Kristen Pumphrey and her husband, Tom, at PF Candle Co. for sponsoring this episode. Fragrance is its own form of self-expression and therapy, creating a sense of groundedness and relaxation in the middle of our busy, chaotic lives. PF's products are locally designed, produced, and packed in Southern California, with scents inspired by memories and places from the California coast to the American Southwest. Their mission is to make high-end quality candles, reed diffusers, incense, and other unisex scents at accessible prices. And everything PF makes is vegan, cruelty-free, and paraben-free. So don't forget to give yourself some self-love and decompression therapy by going to pfcandleco.com and use the coupon code STYLE for 20% off your order. That's pfcandleco.com using the coupon code STYLE for 20% off. What was it like for you in terms of romantic relationships, like either in situations like that or in situations at home? (laughs) Yeah, I think like back home, it was kind of weird. I was like so focused on the work that I was doing that I didn't really... Like creatively? Like creatively and wasn't necessarily like open to having like romantic relationships um also because my mom was like hardcore in terms of i think she knew i think now she like knew and she was like stewarding over me or something and also knew my family like she like kind of knew and understood where i would go as a human being now so she always like was just very protective um, very protective um and as well as like my whole family, you know, they were very protective of like Siblings, what I was doing. Me? Yeah, I'm like the youngest of 10. So, oh, wow. Yeah, big family, plus like foster siblings and things. Wow. Yeah. So they were all protective. And what about dad? Is there, was there, yeah, my dad definitely. He, um, he's a drum maker and he's educator and things too. So he was definitely like protective too. Yeah. So, but, that's awesome. But oh. city was different because, like, oh, you, you know, you go to the city, you see different people and you're like, hey. <laughs> so what else did you make did you have any romantic experiences during that time yeah I did like it was kind of interesting I met like my best friend and so <laughs> they were like yeah you know like I like you and I was like well what is this this feeling about you know like liking another person and what that what that would mean for me and it was someone that was you know it was this girl and she was um I don't know, just like really cool. And I felt like she could see me. And I feel like I, even now, like most attracted to and romantically and with like people in my life that like see me as a full human being, my mm-hmm. full self. So I think like going to the city, it was great meeting other people that weren't like me or, mm-hmm. and also being surprised, you know, when you have a thing where you like change mm-hmm. physically. And you're like, well, people are attracted to me. What is that? Like you sometimes mean, it goes over my head. You mean post-testosterone? Or, yeah, or, yeah. But did that change? Wait, people's I want to like, yeah, get back to that. I just want to get clear okay. on like, so during your adolescence, yeah. <laughs> um, when did it start to like, okay, when did, did you, were you thinking of yourself at that time as like, 
I'm a lesbian or like I'm or were you think or I don't know I'm just making it up but like or yeah. were you thinking of yourself as did you actively start when did you actually actively start to think about like transitioning yeah and yeah when did you actively start to think about that what, what were you going through in your life at that time all right yeah I, well, and where is that in the, in the context of the story you just told about that oh right. person okay. you fell for yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I never labeled myself as a lesbian because mm-hmm. I literally I something in me was and I thought about that a lot is mm-hmm. it you know how society is was trying to label me and right. pushing that I was like all the energy yeah. I was like pushing back against that constantly being female bodied identified than being with someone else that's female body identified together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone was like, you're a lesbian. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, mm-hmm. I'm not. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what are you then? What are you? Like constant pushing against that. And I'm like, I'm just myself. Like I'm right. just me. Like, And I remember specifically mm-hmm. saying to my friend, well, maybe society hasn't thought of another word yet to figure right. out mm-hmm. what it is. So then of course you know going to the googles and finding communities about wow there's actually things out there in english and in cities that people are identifying it's just a lot of people don't know about that transgender or non-binary and what that is mm-hmm. at that time like like i i didn't know it seemed so expensive it seemed like unreal like i'm mm-hmm. like i don't even know i'm gonna go to a doctor at this point mm-hmm. like i was like right. what is this life i just have to like you know it, make it, art and do things like right i had no idea it was so out of that my must scope be very overwhelming it was like very overwhelming and I it's mean, not just it's not just there's is there surgery and and testosterone or I yeah mean, you're looking at oh, all for of that. sure yeah. yeah looking at all the variables i had like no idea about any of that um so i mostly then from that un reachable thing then just started um pouring myself into art making what were you doing exactly making a lot of music with my friends like i would like you know go in the city in yeah in some of the cities Mm -hmm. which was really great people were like oh that's so cool you can like play native flute like let's get together and make music and i'm like cool or (laughs) you know write things and um and then i was like traveling the world a little bit you won a grammy right? yeah uh-huh. and that all casual happened. casual yeah. casual <laughs> just won a grammy whatever yeah. it's like so wild and that even came out like my mentor took me around the world so i traveled a lot in the middle east like, your mentor from where where who's from you? when i was like um like seven or eight years old oh, from your community mm-hmm. came back into my life and we traveled everywhere we did cultural exchanges and stuff and mm-hmm. Um, so I got to inter- also interface with people not only in the United States, but people in other countries. And I was like, oh, yeah, this makes so much sense now that how America, putting quotes in America, is seeing Native nations, right? Native nations are very much like small countries mm-hmm. within the system. Mm-hmm. So I started to relate more to people who are international mm-hmm. in that frame of thought. Like who? Like what kinds of cultures? For example, like we did um, a workshop in Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. and then in Turkey. And we did this exchange with folks and we sat in this room and we like played flutes together um, and then there's this one guy that like just closed his eyes and he played this like beautiful, exquisite, like bamboo flute. It was like blowing my mind. It was amazing. And he just transcended that space with this flute 
and it was he was very contemporary but he was of that culture but it's because there's such a blend of city life and you know the culture there in turkey in in ankara it was like amazing so you know cool. yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense so so you were i just want to kind of get back oh, to yeah. like the gen your when you the transition right. decision and like what that was like and when that yeah. came back up for you and like I don't know. For me, I felt like everything just sort of fell into place mm-hmm. somehow. Um, you know, in terms of where I am now, like my one of my aunts, who is like my mother, like passed away, and she left me like a little tiny bit of money. So mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, like this maybe just came in my path, mm-hmm. and maybe I should have used it to, you know, pay off various debts and things like that. <laughs> but I'm like what would that be what gift would i be giving back to the world and to you mm-hmm. know honoring her death so to speak you know um so that's how it sort of happened for me and i was in new york city and i felt like i could actually have in person facetime with people mm-hmm. that did transition right. because it's quite you know quite scary to think about i think mm-hmm. too so and in do terms it, of you don't want to be feel alone in it did you make the decision to do testosterone was that the first decision or like what were the yeah yeah so i had to do started doing that first mm-hmm. and uh you know i was like that all of that seems so easy to me when i think about it now like starting it doing it like all the medical things are involved it just felt so natural. um natural or operational almost mm-hmm. like okay step one step two step three the most emotional hard part is about um the forms because it's also i feel like the the paperwork forms the paperwork like tied to my identity right um because of the intersection of gender and indigeneity coming right right like to me also the name right like the power of name and what that means and how am i going to change that and did you change your name um, not legally yet because there's other like paperwork that I have to do to go, go back to my nation if I want to stay enrolled in the nation. And I feel like because of sovereignty, I feel like it's important that I have these other things in place before I do that. So that's something actually that's like a goal of mine um, like this year because of the success of the art that I made. I'm finally able to do something like that. Mm. Um you know, and have ceremony where I could then sculpt the name that I want to have both my chosen name and also my Anishinaabe name and then go through ceremony and have people recognize me and see me for who I am. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about having your body change and like, you know, what kind of what that process was and what that felt like for you? Yeah, well, I have regalia that I wear when I dance and it's like tailor fit perfectly for me except like at the waist and like various measurements it like has like these buckles that you can I guess like adjust on it which is kind of interesting because you know in that regard I feel like for myself at least like measuring how actual tangible physically body changes um that was like really important for me because like it was the one when I'm wearing my regalia. That's when I feel like m- myself the most. I feel like I'm home. Like when I put my moccasins on, when I'm doing the thing that I've done since you know I was a child. I feel I'm like wow, this is really home for me. So 
when I continued to put that on I, and saw myself change, that was, yeah, almost when I look back and see pictures and when I, when I, when I have to like adjust things, I feel like that's when I can measure it. Um, sometimes when I get reflections of myself, like if you're like walking down the street or even still like in the store, I'm, I'm like, whoa, is that me? Like it's sometimes I don't even recognize myself because wow. I feel like I'm like inside, like I have so many layers and I'm inside and I'm just like have this shell of something and I'm putting it on also depending on where I go and what I'm doing how I show up with various types of people so but really it's a constant process of trying to show up and be present and be honest and fully myself all the time so it's like also a constant practice for me um physically I think you know so just go I want to hold so so just so what you feel when you're walking down and you look at yourself yeah is it that um, now that outside matches what you feel on the inside? And at one time it didn't? I think that's it. It's almost like, like, um, for example, my roommate took a picture of me and I was like holding something and it was like my back. And I was like, whoa, that looks like some dude, like who is <laughs> very strong. And I was like holding something and in my mind I'm like yeah I'm pretty like strong individual or maybe you know so it was just like so weird to see like oh wow that's like what I actually like look like you know um also sometimes that gets me into trouble because I feel like I'm you know this big like a Doberman when I'm actually you know kind of like a chihuahua too when I'm trying to <laughs> dismantle things or you know the patriarchy on the street or something like that it's like you know if I get into an argument or something with a construction worker or something like that there's like you know I would probably lose that battle if we ever went into one even with women like going in this sort of you know I think about that going in and out of places like even something small like holding the door for people like sometimes I'll forget or something like that or I'll do it or you know vice versa but I also feel like so I get to see both sides of how these cultural conditionings are um that's so interesting yeah what was a hard moment the hardest times I think for me or when I can think of them are like run-ins at like strange small bars with people in Brooklyn or in New York City it's just like what's happened like what what what's an experience um like I think someone I think they probably were like drinking and they probably couldn't identify me if I was you know like my in my gender because I have you know long hair so often that's probably the most identifier that people see and also relating to that I feel like it's also the biggest colonized thing and decolonized thing that we have obviously we see people like dye their hair and do different things which is so awesome but you know I have long hair and that's like definitely like identified as being female and so I remember one time yeah someone came up to me because I was with my friend and they weren't sure if I like if I was like what I was exactly in my gender and they just sort of were like making jokes at me or something and like kind of like pushed me a little bit and I'm like whoa that's just so weird to be physically touched like that um and that happened in Williamsburg 
Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was in like Brooklyn somewhere. Like, wow. yeah, around like Prospect Park or something. It was just very weird, um, you know, to have that happen. And I feel like the phys- physically, like even if it was like a short shove or a small one or something like that, it was still like I'm going to... Very aggressive. Aggressive. One, having the gaze, but like being poked, you know, like poked to see... Um, poke to see your reaction. Yeah, poke to see my reaction to see what would happen. What did you do? Um, you know, I was, it was hard. I, I think like inside I went to a place of so many things are going on. I think when you sort of have that happen and it's unexpected, you just go to a place of, um, I just like, remain calm, like for me, because it's like, okay, well, if I get into a fight right now, I don't want to get arrested. And if I get arrested, that goes into a whole thing about documentation and paperwork and then having to, you know, financially go through all of that and then, you know, figure out things like a home address. I think I was like between places and it would just be policing system of the policing system like how this could be weaponized my word against this other person's word that kind of thing so but then this guy he like totally wanted to like fight like literally wanted to fight me and like started pushing me even more and was like come on let's let's fight are you like you know then this person was like oh you must be a lightweight boxer or something or and was like oh so do you like do you do martial arts and then i'm like okay are you like trying to racial profile me at the same time as the it was like the most bizarre um so what about your hair what about the power of hair in your culture i love talking about hair so in your culture you 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 only cut your hair if there's a death yeah so we have long hair we're not Mm -hmm. supposed to cut our hair in the Anishinaabe culture until someone, you know, passes away. This was the hardest thing (laughs) in terms of transitioning with my mother also was about me wanting to cut my hair. She was like, it's great. You're trying, you want to use these pronouns in English that you want to walk this way of life and do that. But that hair, like it was a huge thing. Cutting it shorter than, cutting it from longer than it was to here. Mm -hmm. I used to have like, past my waist long hair Mm -hmm. and so I cut it and my friend um was like okay Ty you're transitioning let's you know do x y and z let's do these things what it is like to transition right like well what is it to transition you know what is that like yes you can take you know testosterone to physically change but like your hair is just your hair always as a person as an individual and you know so I said I had to think about it for a long time I'm like oh is this what I'm supposed to do to fit in a western culture about what it means to Mm -hmm. transition is hair Mm -hmm. on that list is Mm -hmm. like learning how to like shave is learning how to buy clothes that actually fit me like are the is this like the list of what you do when you transition so it was i feel like for me that was a moment where i was trying to fit into a box of westernized culture about transitioning that really wasn't me so what i did was yeah i wouldn't like cut my hair how short i had a um shaved 
all the way to the scalp all the way around and then I had you know the sort of like hipster do with like the top very long um for a while and then that got even shorter so it was like shaved around and like like almost like a wider mohawk kind of cut but going from like like below the waist long hair to like down to the scalp it was intense and how did how did it make you feel at the time I was like wow am am I going to be accepted into the society and seen now how I want to be seen is having short hair does that represent maleness does that represent masculinity will I you know will I be accepted also as like a trans male in a western society when really you know I could have kept the long hair braided it up every day and just been myself in that way are there any do you have any areas of shame in your life shame let me see um like what what do you mean I don't know, just like over anything that you you know over anything personal or like or any or anything that you're carrying any kind of shame Yeah I think uh for me it's a lot of you know live in society like figuring out how to how this like system works like that I I feel oftentimes that I just don't fit into it and I, I like realize that more and more both you know culturally racially like all these you know value systems like ways of living life things that you know so, sometimes as much as I in reality I know that these things have worth that these things are beautiful that I the culture that I have is beautiful like the person that I've become that have chosen to go on this path every day it is a struggle and battle to tell myself that I am worthy to to be myself to have good things um you know so it's a constant dialogue so I don't know if it's necessarily shame but it's definitely um every day trying to like rise to that occasion what gets me there is my own virtues and values about trying to instill hope for other people you know Mm -hmm. so what does that say about like self-worth I'm like I am worthy to do this action that I'm called to do and I have to do that so that also helps me show up for myself like Mm -hmm. I'm like Ty you have to show up for yourself too Right. You know, because you, you feel that you want to show up for other people, so you have to show up for yourself. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't realize that that that's something that I, that sometimes people don't ask themselves, you know? I was like, wow. Like, I'm like, wow, yeah. Like, I wake up and I have to, like, say that so I can keep going every day. Because some days I'm just like, damn. What do you have to so say hard. exactly? Well, I think like it's it gets so hard it's almost you know with this political society with the small things that happen um on street corners and or in spaces on like things like subways society constantly saying that I'm not good enough to be in it and it's like okay 
I have to constantly say, society is dictating to me that I don't fit into this box when really the society is on the back of Turtle Island. Oh my God. That's really intense. That is really intense. That's like a lot. Mm -hmm. People build fences and boxes and Living walls to keep the truth out. When do you feel the most vulnerable? Doing my eagle dance. When I put on my wings. Why? And I'm performing. Because I feel like... Why? In terms of being two-spirit and shapeshifter in my culture, it's like all those things in operation at the same time. And I feel like it's so personal and powerful to me that people can really see the embodied experience of myself. So you're so completely out there. You're completely just... There's no cover. And what does self-acceptance mean to you? I think like being self-acceptance is to me is about just yeah mostly speaking like radical truth but it's a constant constant a constant thing every day I think to try and do that it's like never done never no. done never so mm -mm. Mm -mm. So Never. last one, what would you tell your 11-year-old <laughs> self? <laughs> My 11-year-old 11, self. 11, 12. Wow. wow. Oh, wow. What would I say? 12. Isn't 12 the trans... What is the one of the transitional like times? In, 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 what, is, what do you do probably ceremony like around 12, age? Probably like 12, 13. Yeah. yeah. I would say to my 12 or 13-year-old self to like keep having fun <laughs> I feel and um yeah like keep on learning and learn as much as I could you know that's something that mm -hmm. I I would say you know to try to remember remember everything you can Thank you. That was beautiful. Oh, and I am in love you. with you. Yeah, so in love. And everything come. about you. Yeah. So in yeah, love that I, I have more like 7,000 more questions. Yeah, like I yeah. just can't get enough. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode subscribing to our podcast and joining us on patreon to support our work and help us build a world where everyone feels comfortable and safe in their own skin head over to patreon.com slash style like you you can also watch our videos by subscribing to our youtube channel and following us on instagram twitter and facebook using the handle at style like you that's the letter u instead of the word you and check out our book true style is what's underneath the self-acceptance revolution on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth.